Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. This is a first for us. We have too many good guests here, so I'm just going to try to get out of the way as fast as possible here and get started here. We're joined by the entire youth national team coaching staff, minus Kruger, but I mean, he had a, almost a two-hour episode with us, so maybe it's time to sit this one out. So joining us tonight, Mike Hawkins, Brock Daviduk, Dave Preston, Nathan Gruenveld, and Jared Brown. Welcome to the show, guys. This is awesome. Let's get to the behind the scenes as fast as possible. Hawkins, I got to know, the coaching staff gets announced. You're the lead coach. How are you making clear objectives for these guys? Because I feel like there's a lot of personalities in the room. There's a lot of strong coaches. You get this list. How do you start working and starting plugging guys in for a project like this? Yeah, it's definitely a good problem to have when you've got this much talent in one room. And kind of first things first was just getting to know everybody. Like I had previous relationships with some of the coaches, but you know, with Dave and Nate in particular, had just kind of met them at, you know, national championships and, and stuff like that. So getting to know a bit of their strengths and luckily, you know, the volleyball community is pretty small. So I worked with Ian Ebbett, who's uh, Dave's assistant coach. And, you know, I've had quite a few conversations with Nate. So could kind of take the little bit that I knew of everyone and then, you know, start to define roles pretty clearly. And, you know, obviously Brock and Nate played the national team. So kind of knew what their strengths were going to be in terms of positions, but uh, it's been a, a bit of a work in progress, but so far, honestly, it's been a pleasure working with these guys. Now, I, I do have to ask, did you feel tempted to pigeonhole anybody? Because obviously, like, Brock would be awesome with the setters, but just because Nate's a middle doesn't mean he can't run the setters, right? So are you guys rotating sessions, or because the program's, it's a little short, like, are you guys really specializing in taking a group each time? I, I think because the group size is so large and our training camp is so tight, that for clarity and consistency of messaging that we kind of had coaches take certain positions. So, you know, there was a few of us that were taking the outsides and opposites, Brock taking setters, Nate taking middles, and then Kruger taking liberos just based off of their playing experience. Cause I think they could give that real life perspective. Uh, but again, like you were saying, like each one of these coaches has a wealth of experience and they're fantastic coaches in all positions. So, you know, we've, we've kind of, define those roles while also giving the autonomy that, you know, if, if Dave's, Dave sees something that he thinks that liberos can do, we have kind of given free reign to jump in. Yeah. And let, let's go to Dave here. Cause I, I think your bio, I think you may have coached every level at the national team, right? Like you've been with the seniors, you've been U21. I think you've been to FISU. Now you're with the youth national team. Like, like when you step in, how are you kind of feeling out the room? Did you get a sense that you're kind of like, guys, I've seen the level. I know Glenn's system, like let's do this. Or are you kind of soaking it in and trying to steal good ideas from, from this coaching staff as well? Yeah, I'm here to learn as much as anybody. Um, you know, if I can offer things to to coaches or athletes, and uh, then I do my best to try and chime in where necessary. But quite honestly, with this many people in a room, uh, sometimes the best skill is knowing when to step back uh, and just kind of you know fill the gaps as as uh, as Mike has defined. So um, it, it's been a it's been awesome actually. It, the the weeks are flying by, um, but. At this level, the the uptake from the athlete is so high. They're just sponges. And so 
you know, the, the, the more the coaches offer, the more they get. So for me, it's been, uh, it's been, you know, a, a really good exercise of when to step forward and when not to, but also just when to support when, when it's necessary. Nice, nice. And I'll throw it over to my guy, Brock, here. Obviously, on your episode, I think we talked about a lot of things, but you're also a really good planner. So I was wondering how your experience came together, because even even the selection process was a little bit different this year with COVID, that everything was online, right? Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, to kind of bounce that over to Hawkins, not to not that he needs to talk on this, but to give him the credit, because uh, I think part of why things have been going so well for us. And um, I would echo Dave's sentiment that's been going really great with athletes and coaching staff, I think is all credit to, to Mike, Mike's planning of the summer and his vision for the summer and the implementation of that. And I think like with, with all of us being having the experience we have with planning, we um, took a step back, like Dave said, and let Mike really develop our plan. Um, and I think the coaching staff has had, the groundwork laid by Mike for us to buy into. Um, not that that didn't come without our consultation. Like Mike's very 360 degrees with his leadership style. And I think that we're really, really benefiting um, as a group from everything he laid as the plan going into it, like in terms of how we would organize selection. So he also split us off in a um, selection groups at the start um, to really streamline that process, how he reorganized online submissions of video, um, which made that a lot easier for all of the coaches and which I then think in turn serviced all the applicants, um, with due diligence and then just setting up all our, all our zoom meetings. Like by the time we got in the gym, I've never gone into a gym for the first time with that many people and known everyone by name and known them well. And that that's a credit to all the zoom meetings we had and, and how, um, inclusive they were with, with what everyone was doing on them. So, um, my, honestly, I didn't do hardly any planning other than, than some stuff. I just kind of had mapped out for what I'd like to see from the setters because that was the role Mike saw for me. And I, I, I'll, I appreciate like the, the setting shout out, but I mean, the, the setting coaches on this call are just phenomenal. I mean, um, in the, all, all the years that I've been interested in, in setting, I've, looked at things that um coach preston has done so often and um one of my favorite quotes is is his that good coaches are good thieves and i definitely steal a lot from dave preston and from all the other coaches around here in my uh, coaching practice and uh coach gronveld when he stepped in the gym was just draining buckets in our setting targets so he's definitely qualified (laughs) to to be giving setter feedback as well awesome awesome so Mike, just kind of set the scene uh, for me and the listeners. What instruction were you given from BC? Because I think Glenn's done a great job program-wide and he does it right down to like the club and high school level that he's just great at sharing everything. But let's be honest, we're in a Tokyo year, so he's got bigger fish to fry right now. So how much instruction were you given from BC? Or honestly, when, when you got hired and you get put together with a coaching staff like this, like it's it's your show and you're trusted to kind of take this group and create the program? Or, or is VC saying, this is our system, this is what we want to see from you, like you implement this idea? or is it really your baby at this point? I'd say one of the unique aspects of this program is that there is quite a bit of autonomy for the head coach and the coaching staff to select the team that they feel best fits the Canadian system. So, you know, everyone on this call has been a part of, you know, a level Canada program, uh, some as players, uh, all of us as coaches. So I think, again, as you alluded to, because Glenn has done such a good job of, of kind of 
setting the foundation, we have a fairly good idea as to what he wants to see from a senior national team, left side, middle, opposite, center, libero. Uh, but there weren't necessarily like tight constraints or parameters that we had to operate within, which I think gives us the freedom to choose the team that we think is going to best fit you know, Team Canada's identity. Uh, really, the only position that we were kind of given tighter parameters was kind of in, from an informal conversation that I had with Dan Lewis on just you know, how he wanted to see the libero position involved within our country. But, you know, other than that, you know, with this age group and particularly given the, the unique aspects of our tryout, the fact that it was all, all virtual, it was tough to really assess the, the skills, like the fine, fine skills. So a lot of our selection was intentionally built off of physical measures and not necessarily, hey, let's get all the giants in the gym and then just roll some volleyballs out and see what happens. But, you know, that, that kind of needed to be ground zero is looking at some of the physical measurables that were provided, understanding that physicality is going to be a predictor for success on the senior national team, and then take the video submissions and then start kind of differentiating guys based on the skills that were provided. But, you know, I think we were very cognizant of the fact that you know, COVID wasn't equal for everybody. The opportunities weren't equal for everyone. So, you know, the the range of opportunities and training, opportunities to record video, then submit those, and even just the quantity of training to show your refined skills. We're just going to be so different, you know, from all three coasts. So, for us, it was a unique process. We were given some parameters, but to kind of wrap this up, uh, you know, we were kind of given the autonomy to select the athletes that we felt best fit team candidates. Nice. Nice. And I'll, I'll throw it to Nathan here because I, I obviously you're all very strong at things. It feels weird singling you guys out, but Nathan, we've had a lot of great chats about recruiting and just your ability to, to know what's going on, not only in Ontario, but you guys recruit the whole country. And I'm curious with the online model, did you kind of pick up names kind of like to Brock's point? Like when you stepped in the gym, like you recognized everybody, like how was it for you evaluating so many applications and getting it down that I, I think I'm looking at the list. You guys ended up taking 30 athletes. So uh, how was it during a COVID year for you? Cause you, you might've already had a head start on identifying some athletes through recruiting, but how was it watching them on video and, and kind of talking to the other coaches about who's going to get the, the invite to camp? Yeah, I think uh, one of the more unique opportunities for evaluation that I've had, I think, the biggest thing was the the organization and the structure that uh, that Mike put to everything that allowed us as coaches uh, to dive into a couple of position groups really, really deep to have an understanding of, of what's going on. Um, and I think enough of us recruit enough guys that uh, if we didn't know the person already, we knew someone in their video, right? And I think sometimes that's helpful as well in terms of looking at and going, okay, this person has said they're this tall, they have this spike approach, they have this block touch, uh, all of those kind of things and being able to compare it to, to something that you know. Um, and then to what Brock alluded to, I think the, the cool part was after all of the video submissions, after all of the trial process, after the deep dives that we would have one-on-one as coaches and, and as a small groups, big groups, and then all the Zoom calls, you walk into a group of 30 athletes and six coaches and like sometimes it's shocking how much you know about a kid and, and how quickly it's like, hey, Johnny, like how are things going? And, and I think that helps streamline the process going into a camp that uh, is a little bit longer than the youth has been in, in the past, but also isn't a, a full-fledged three-month junior program. So I think 
all of that combined to allow us to really, really hit the ground running. Uh, and I think our athletes have reaped huge benefits from that already in camp. Nice, nice. And JB, I just want to get your thoughts on this because you provide a pretty unique lens in a sense that you, you've been with Team Canada, you've been at a high level, but you're, you're the club coach on this call, right? So you have a unique lens about teaching and learning and maybe working with these athletes a little bit more frequently than, than the university coaches you're joined with, right? So how's your experience, Wayne? How, how have the kids related to you? Because I think you're, you're more than qualified, definitely, but you provide that kind of u- unique perspective. So I'm just curious how, how your experience has been so far. You know, it's... Uh... My apologies for being late. Uh, I've just done my uh, 15th Costco trip um, <laughs> while I've been here in Vancouver. So the guys, you know, they love when I show up because that usually means I'm bringing them more food. Um, so that's just what happened right now uh, this afternoon. But, um, you know, I think the really unique thing for me, and I've had this discussion with the coaches about it, is that uh, at the club level, you know, you saw firsthand the the difficulties that the athletes encountered in this last club season after being off for a while right and with the other five coaches on the staff you know their athletes were a little bit less affected by that because they're a little further along in their development path and you know for these guys it certainly it has had an impact right and and you know we think of them as 17 18 year old athletes but we kind of needed to readjust a little bit as to where they were just in the amount of reps they've had coming into this and um you know, I think it really, as this camp has gone on, it has quickly started to come back to them and, and things have, have improved. But in the beginning, you know, we, it was important to kind of keep that, uh, that perspective. And, you know, as, like I said, as a, as a club coach, it's, it's great to see that, um, you know, these guys are still on that path and, and uh, you know, where they'd be, even though they missed out on so many of those important tournaments and whether it be you know, locally with provincials or club tournaments and then going into some of the bigger stuff and going to nationals. And you can really see that when we have a chance to play, you know, how important this is to them because they just haven't had a chance to even play six on six at, at practice, you know, for the last year. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a very, uh, I would say to echo kind of what Brock said, I think is a great way to look at it where this is the, the fourth time that I've been involved. And uh, the first year, you know, we, nobody knew each other really, right. You showed up and um, you kind of got going and the first week was just learning everybody's names. And now here we are the very first day that that was completely eliminated from the program. Everybody knew each other's faces, even with, uh, with two sets of twins on the team, you know, which is a struggle at times to keep everybody straight. But right away we hit the ground running the first day that we got here. Yeah, that's definitely a challenge just to pull on your point there. And to go back to Mike here, how did you design this in terms of, jumps shoulders like everybody's coming to the gym they're all excited they want to get going but how are you kind of pulling them back a little bit instead of just letting them go and i'm sure they want to play more than anything and they want to be around new athletes and they're around the best athletes in the country but to jb's point yeah they haven't jumped they haven't swung they haven't done a lot of stuff so how are you guys measuring load before you really got into like planning sessions and building them up as you got them the coaches have alluded to the zoom sessions and a big part this year was obviously onboarding with some of the details like the you know, technical external cues that we were going to be implementing and, you know, just some of the unique aspects of being a volleyball Canada athlete, but truthfully the strength and conditioning aspect uh, and the loading prior to camp was one of our greatest priorities. And, you know, shout out to Michael cook, the lead strength coach of the senior national team, the men's national team for working with us, working with our guys to make sure that they were given an appropriate plan to prepare them for camp. So, you know, every, again, like everyone was going to have different circumstances 
there were some guys that had a two week Canada games training camp right before coming out to Vancouver. And then, you know, as these other coaches have alluded to some guys who just like haven't played six on six for over a year. And it was just going to be such a wide range. So, you know, Michael Cook did a great job of creating a strong plan that was going to be flexible to everybody's circumstances. And then when we got here, really the first three, four days, we just had to be really intentional with the amount of volume that we were putting on these guys, you know, not just jumping, but even just the number of attacks and serves to make sure that we weren't, weren't frying too many shoulders in the first couple of days. Uh, that took, took a lot of patience, I would say from the athletes and the coaches, just because I think we were excited to, to dive in, you know, having, the best U19 athletes in the country in one gym is, is exciting for everybody. But once we kind of got over that hump, um, you know, then we were able to just to get into to full training. So again, kudos to Michael Cook and the plan that he created, but also the athletes for, for buying into that plan to make sure that they weren't going to be in a compromised situation when we started up. Yeah. And, and Dave, back to you. I'm curious as a, a U sports coach, was Zoom something you were doing with uh, McMaster already and you were comfortable with that? Or was this something you had to get on board with in a hurry because it was the, the only way to communicate with these athletes and kind of make up for lost time that when you're on site, you're going to be in the gym? Like, was this something maybe happening all season because that's all you could do with your club? Or, or how did you feel about the, the Zoom meetings and planning and prepping and teaching that way? Because that, that was really the only creative solution we had at one point, right? Yeah. And, and you know what, uh, you're right. It was, it was pretty much the only point of contact coaches had through athletes, but I also think moving forward, it's probably when it's going to stick. Um, because, uh, just because of geography, when you have athletes from all over the country or even international athletes, um, and your connection points were limited, I think, you know, zoom became a way of life. And I really don't know, Josh, if it's going to go away. Like, uh, I don't, you know, Obviously, it's not going to affect the stuff that happens in the gym, but you're off season. Uh, you can main, maintain a lot more connectivity between your staff and your and your student athletes, and and uh, so yeah, I I I I was familiar with it. I think most athletes are right now because uh, the, the athletes that we're dealing with right now, they most of them had to learn that way, so their entire days are spent on Zoom. But I see it part of uh, probably moving forward being a way of life for us. Yeah, and Brock, what have you seen from your standpoint, just in terms of like the overall development? Like, I think coaches did try to get creative and do the Zoom stuff, but it, you've worked with uh, athletes of different age, and you kind of had a setter academy thing going, and you've done a lot of good stuff. But do, do you feel like this group is honestly behind because they lost a year, or, or is this online stuff kind of keeping them close? And then when you get them into a gym, you can kind of catch them up and get them more ball touches. Uh, unfortunately, I do like think that we're going to see a developmental gap in Canadian youth. Um, you know, Crew's really the guy that can talk about the science of um, the the transfer from observational learning to the actual experience and practice of what you're observationally learning. But uh, I would confidently say that all those things, learning on Zoom and video and all those calls, when it comes to volleyball playing, volleyball, like performing volleyball actions, it, it's not the same, you know. There's a lot of other things I think that coaches were likely focusing on through Zoom calls, whether they were cultural keys or maybe some mental skills training or debriefs for the strength and conditioning that individuals could do on their own. But when it comes down to playing volleyball, we're, we just, we've had a huge gap. Now, um, it, it would stand to reason that so of all the other countries, but that's just not the case with how 
the pandemic went in certain areas. And we could even see that in our own country, like Hawkins alluded to provincial team camps happening and there are provincial team camps happening as we speak. And like the, the structure of those across Canada are different. What, what athletes are able to do in different provinces. So I think as a country, because we shut down, which in my mind is the right move to do. Um, but nonetheless, we'll see a gap in development in this, in this age group. And maybe it won't be the, you know, grade 10, six, one left side that has great control and a, and a good arm, but you know, maybe it's that grade 11, six, eight middle that just didn't get exposed enough to playing volleyball and hitting 51s and blocking against four attackers. And instead all he can do is distance training as he should have been doing, but he'll miss that development that a six, eight, you know, 16 year old needs. Um, and that's a pretty critical window. So I do have, I don't, I hate to put a damper on how exciting our experience has been here, but if we're talking about development, I think that is a piece that is going to be missing for our country as we move forward. And I'm not sure where that sits internationally or on the world stage, if that's commensurate with other countries, if, or if we'll be behind, be ahead, but be behind or be ahead. But I think that is our speaking about development. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Nate, I was curious your experience because we had joked on uh, your episode in one of your last years of pro, you got to play left side and you said that was kind of the dream. Well, I'm looking up and down this list and I think you guys have some some longer bodies on the outside. So is it just a sign of the popularity of volleyball in Canada and kind of the growth that we have some some longer limb guys that can play the outside, they can they can take first contact? Like, are you kind of looking around me like, man, if I was born in this era, I'd be the best left side here? Um, so yeah, I, I think every middle's dream is either to set and then when Brock won't let you, then hey, left side's pretty cool too. But um I, I think one of the challenges with this group is that there are a lot of human beings in this group and a lot of athletes who are able to play in multiple positions and trying to help all of them understand that there is this one, a global game that our, our opposites, our middles have to be way more skilled than they've ever had to be, but also understanding that there are different paths to the national team. And sometimes that's being a really, really good middle blocker. Right. And, and I, I joked with you that playing left side was a dream. I don't think I make the national team as a left side. Right. And I think being a, a really, really good skilled middle blocker, uh, if you want to see any exhibit, just look at what Lucas Van Brickle has been doing for our national team, right? He had a, a, a huge match against Iran and, and has been one of, and Graham Vigrest has been one of our best players over the last couple of quads. So I, I think understanding the global development of athletes, understanding, you know, that there are guys who have the body, the length, uh, the arm swing to be really, really world-class left sides and, and opposites and pin hitters. And there are guys who are just phenomenal athletes who probably should be in the middle and can do incredible things for a country. Uh, and then how do we layer in on that? How do we continue to develop bigger and bigger setters who are great setters as well? And I, I think there are some, some gaps in our system in all of those contexts, but um, to kind of sum it up. Yeah. I think there's some, some awesome kids here who can play some different positions and, and we've seen some of that already on camp. And back to you, Hawkins, I was hoping you could share just the planning, because I think as club coaches or high school coaches are listening, they're going to have to organize tryouts or hopefully like we get some camps and the kids can go to like, 
from your perspective, are you, you're setting the structure and you're setting the number of sessions, but are you just saying to Dave, Hey, you're going to have this many athletes on your court. It's a, it's a medium day or it's a heavy day, or they can jump this many times. And then you're, you're kind of letting him drive the bus or what did you feel like your role was in, in providing a, a clear objective for these guys and then letting them go do work on their own court or, or how is the structure? Are you guys dividing courts and lead coaches on each court or how have you kind of divided up these athletes and coaches to get the most out of every day? Yeah, it's been a cool process. So kind of from the outset, you know, that first week, you know, the term that I kept using to the athletes is that it was going to be an exploratory week. So we were going to give them the opportunity to, you know, dive back into all the skills that they maybe hadn't been training while also it being exploratory for us coaches to see where the gaps were in some of the skills. Uh, So truthfully, like we had planned pretty meticulously that first week and then left the next you know, week and a half open to accommodate for the areas that maybe maybe we want to hit uh, just based on like our projections or assumptions on where the guys would be but some of the you know nitty-gritty details of our day-to-day so based on our periodization of training like we'll know that you know session x is uh like level two jump volume day so then Within that, we'll also have our key learning objectives. Like, let's pretend it was pipe packing, which we did a couple of days ago. So then understanding that it's an L2 day, but that we really want to hammer home pipes, pipe attacking, introducing that concept. Uh, us coaches, we sit down in, in the basement of, of the gym here, and we just start ripping stuff up on the, on the whiteboard and understanding like what it is that the objective that we want to accomplish, where we feel like the athletes are in terms of their capabilities of, you know, do we need to spend more time in a tutorial phase of practice, like really breaking down the skill or do we feel like we can spend a little bit of time there? And then like, let's just throw them into the fire in, you know, transfer gameplay. So it's been a really cool opportunity. I would say like for me personally to, to work with all these coaches, see how they like to teach. And then, from there, we kind of have a plan where it's like, okay, you know, Dave, JB, Nate, you're going to take court one because we're going to have like this kind of mixture of guys. And then Brock, crew, I'll come join you guys on court two. And then oftentimes we'll just allow coaches to float based on how they see fit. And then, you know, like it's, you know, as much as this group has been giving me credit for how we've put this everything together, like I'm, I'm sitting here listening to these guys fanboying a little bit because like these are the rock star coaches in Canada. So, for me, it would be foolish to put shackles on these guys. Uh, it makes a lot more sense for me to let them free and let them kind of do as they see fit. And honestly, it's been really, really cool to work with so far. Yeah, like I, I'm a big podcast guy and I've been listening to Flying Coach, which is hosted by uh, Sean McVay, the, the Rams coach in the NFL. And he's actually mentioned when he had his, his buddy uh, Kyle Shanahan on the show that when they go at the dinner, he tries not to share everything because he knows it's going to get used against him. And I get the NFL is like a big business and all that stuff. But Dave, for you, somebody who's been around like how did you get over that ego thing? Cause I, I find that you share so much that it, does it ever run through your mind? They're like, Oh, I'm going to demo this drill and Nate's going to see it. And now York's going to be doing this drill. And then UBC is going to steal it. And then Alberta's going to have it. Like, how did you find that there's just this concept that if I share, like I'm probably going to steal as much as I get out of this. So I'm not going to feel like I have to hide anything where I, I think other coaches in this situation, they might just be a little bit more close to the chest about what they're sharing from their own program. Yeah. I, 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 it wasn't that big of a deal for me about how much I'm sharing. It's kind of, it's it, it's what we're here for um and i'm learning as i said before josh i'm learning just as much as i'm given so and probably more um so yeah maybe you know 
I have noticed that there's very different ways to way coaches go about that. Um, and I think I'm just trying to maybe pull some best practices and maybe some people are out of the way I, I kind of run things too. But um, personally, I think this is a way we should probably be going with our sport in our country anyway. Like if, when you put the leaf on your chest, we're doing it for one reason. And, you know, if you start to let some of those other factors trickle in or, then, then I think we've maybe lost sight of what we're trying to do here. So uh, I think Hawk has done a really good job of laying a foundation to say, look, this is, you know, we're going to try and involve these 30 kids as best we can, onboard them into the process, and and let's let them go. And, and I think we've kind of done that. But I've been in collaborative situations before, whether it's camps or other teams or FISU program, where you've got you know rock star coaches that are that are working on your staff who could easily have the job that you've been assigned. And it's, just, you know, like I've worked with Grant Wilson and and, uh, and James Gravel with the Fichu program and in similar situations. It's, if it does come back to you, then it just forces you to find another way to, you know, make it better the next time. So, but I think that's what we're supposed to be doing. I think it's for the betterment of our game and our country. There's no doubt I'm becoming a better coach by being here. And I hope that the athletes are being bettered for me being here. So that that's you know, that comes with the responsibility of being part of the national program. Yeah. Well said. Thank you for that. And we'll start with Brock here, but honestly, anybody can jump in on this one because I am curious. You do the talent ID system, you're going through video, but man, Brock, you get these guys in the gym. Is there just something that doesn't show as well on video or is it just nice to be around the athlete and see how fast they learn or pick things up? Like what, what has kind of been the biggest thrill about just being back in the gym versus evaluating athletes on video? Uh, I think the interpersonal aspect, like there's so many guys where you, when you're watching them on video, you don't have a full understanding of the package of what they're bringing to the, the plate. Like, um, you bring it back to the recruiting convo, like all of us have recruiting roles and seeing what their volleyball skill is in the physical numbers. That's just a part of the whole package. That's really important. That other really important packages who they are as a person. And, uh, getting in the gym with them, we get a really good grasp of that and living in residence with them and walking to and from the gym with them, we get a really good grasp and we weren't able to get that through the application and trial process. We got a bit of it through zoom, but doing the zoom meetings, you know, we're, we're setting expectations and standards and maybe not having intimate conversations with the guys. But I think that's probably been my favorite part of the camp is getting to know the athletes as people and all these um, amazing coaches that uh, I look up to as, as people as well, because we're living together for two and a half weeks. We're investing all our time. We've made all these sacrifices to be together. So uh, I, I think that there's a lot of enjoyment that's come out of it so far, just because I, I really really believe that all 35 of us here really get along well and really believe in what we're doing. And one of our players today in a mental skill session we're doing talked about the team as a brotherhood and being one of the favorite things he's done so far in his life even. And uh, seeing that kind of reaction from the guys is pretty special. So when it comes to the, like the skill side of things, like do they look different in person than they did on video? Yeah. I think there's some, some guys that, you know, did a really good job with their video submission. And then there's some guys that didn't, and we had to do our research because uh, there's some guys that didn't look good on video. And now they're some of the best players in camp. And um, thankfully, again, going back to how well Hawk 
organized everything, um, he put a structure in place that allowed us to really dive deep. Um, and I, I think that we're reaping the benefits of that now and seeing that some of these guys that maybe had good video or didn't have good video um, because of that structure, I think that we've done the right job by the athletes and, and now seeing some really good ball in our gym as, as a result. Nice, nice. And Nathan, what are your thoughts on this? Like, is it just a thrill being in the gym? Is there anything you're seeing that you're like, man, video just doesn't show this or man, I miss giving feedback or seeing this guy, you know, struggle and learn and now get the benefit of it. Like how, how have your first couple of weeks been in the gym? Yeah, I think for me, the, the overwhelming sense is you have no idea how any of these guys are going to respond in the environment that we're about to create and that we've created through this camp for the last you know, 11 days in the next seven. And I think that goes for staff as well, right? Like we can have Zoom meetings, we can map out all this planning, but how are we all going to respond in it? How are we going to respond under challenge? Because um, I think it's a group that, and we've told th this to the group over and over, it's a group that I don't know there's been a lot of challenge for them. COVID aside, if we take that huge animal out of the picture, but Volleyball-wise, most of them are the, have been the best player or one of the best players on their team. Um, they haven't struggled doing some skills, especially some of the net play for some of them, like being the best attacker in the gym all the time. Um, so I, I think I've been really, really pleased with how this group as a whole has embraced learning, has embraced the challenge, has leaned in really, really well to frustration and come out and is we're starting to see the fruits of that and and i think there's some kids out you're like yeah that kid looks good on video and then they they got into our gym and you're like but that's a special athlete and that's a special human being and that's someone i could see us having conversations about for years down the road if they continue to develop and they continue to stay healthy so i think that's been one of the coolest parts and as a coaching staff those are the things we get excited about. Those are, we talk about it every day, who won the day. And more often than not, that kind of stuff comes out. And and how did they respond to this? How did, you know, slow start got better um, or just just had a day? And, and how do they conduct themselves off the court? How do they interact with coaches? Are they seeking feedback to look like they're seeking feedback? Or are they actually seeking it out to go, hey, how do I get better here? I want to have that real conversation. So I think a lot of that stuff, uh, just to layer on, with what Brock was saying, like, I think that's the stuff you can't, you can't learn on video, right. And and you can't see it. And, and so I think that with a little due diligence, and I, I also think that part of this whole process is a little bit of good fortune that some of these guys are who they are and credit to their families who raised them and coaches who had an impact on that. Um, but I think that's been the coolest part to see. And then just collectively as a staff leading into all of it and, and full bore, like there, there's been no holding back in our, our development as a staff, which has been really cool to see. And we have another about seven days, but nobody's counting, uh, left to continue to make it better. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. And, and as you're explaining this, I, my, I just, I just want to jump to JB because one thing I enjoyed about your interview and learning about you is, is you're a big culture guy. So, uh, my main question for you is, are you kind of observing or are you kind of, coaching guys up and are you kind of leading toward the culture or you honestly just want to observe and see where they take it but really my first question for you is anybody dared to wear like calf socks or has everybody got like pretty good style in the gym so far i am happy to report that the socks haven't been an issue we have uh, we have a couple of guys who like to explore with a couple of funky patterns and colors but uh, the length has been appropriate for all uh, all training camp which is which is great um but uh 
you know, I, I think we, we really have honestly just addressed things right as they've come up. You know, we talked about, should we let this go? You know, how much leeway do you want to give the guys? And I think we all kind of agreed it's, it's best to hold them really accountable. And, um, you know, the, just little things like that, whether it be, you know, reminders to wear masks and clean up after themselves and, you know, how they, what kind of music they listen to and how they speak to each other in the dorms. And, you know, I think it's just, they've been so long without having to interact in person with a lot of other people that a little bit is just kind of relearning how some of that stuff works. And I think this experience will be huge for them to prepare before they go back and get into those team settings when whatever level it may be, if they're going to university in the fall or if they're just returning back to high school for another year, but they have, uh, they've responded, you know, to everything that we've, we've put in front of them. And, you know, it's just, it's one of those situations where, Again, a lot of the coaches and, and people involved, you know, with the team, they're working with a little bit older athlete. We just got to keep reminding ourselves that, you know, some of these guys literally just they just don't know what they don't know, right? And and to not be afraid to to give them some of that information and, and they've handled it well. And you know, I think the big thing for me when we kind of talked about just getting to know these guys is like you almost the big the biggest takeaway is how much they eat. You know, it's crazy. Like these guys, uh, they just need fuel all the time and um, you know, we're literally feeding them all day, every day. And, um, we forget there's still just these young guys that are growing and, and still maturing and developing as, as athletes and as, as young men. But, um, I, I just wanted to make one point when you had asked Dave about the sharing piece and, um, what it's like coming from different programs. I don't think, um, if you put an outsider into this uh, environment that anybody would ever know that, you know, these coaches are from, from different programs and different universities and different provinces, like it really is, there's one objective here and that's the athletes that are here and, and making this experience the, the best it can be for them. And, and really just Canada being at the forefront of all of that. And, you know, the guys, they're not doing it on purpose, but you know, if they're, if they're wearing a club shirt or provincial team shirt, like we, we address it right away and give them that reminder and just letting them know that we're only here for one team right now. And we have, Stand, you come from different places and you're proud of that but while we're here team canada really is of the utmost importance and it's interesting because in the past there's been so many discussions about you know when our club team played your club team and you know when our provincial team plays your team and kind of going back on that and i guess part of it is just they haven't played in in two years so maybe there's less of those experiences to talk about but i haven't heard a lot of those discussions while we've been here you know they're not they're not coming with that, but they're not discussing those previous teams. It's, it's really just about the group that's here right now and, and what we're working towards uh, with the 29 athletes and the, uh, the six coaches. Nice. Nice. I'd like to get everyone's thought on this, but Dave, will put you on the spot. Like when I was with team O indoor, one thing I enjoyed about going to HPC and then getting your squad is like, it, it's all volleyball. Like you're at the, the coach's table during lunch, you're talking about volleyball in the evenings, you're, you're talking more about volleyball. But uh, I also understand that balance is important for some people. So do you like to take time to like switch off? And I, I know you're a big golfer and you're a good family man, or when you're around these guys, like, are you just picking their brain and it is all volleyball? Like, how have you found balancing the, I guess, I guess it was 11 days so far and you guys got another week. Like, are, are you finding times to switch off or when you're in this environment, it's all go and you're talking to Kruger about uh, specificity and all that stuff or you want to pick Hawkins brain about arm swing or or any of the other guys are you going down the rabbit hole or are you trying to find times to switch off because 
you know, it, we can all over obsess it. I know it's six people in a ball, but man, we can all try to make it pretty complicated. So how have you kind of approached the, this all day volleyball thing? Or are you trying to find a balance and maybe switch off when you can? Yeah, I think, uh, I think, well, I don't know what they were on 11, maybe or in that range, but I think the first little bit, Josh, we were, uh, I think it was a lot of volleyball and it's, it's kind of, I know from, I can only speak personally, but it, it was what I was craving, right? It's, it's kind of what we missed through the pandemic. And, and so me uh, submersing myself into that environment was exactly what I was looking for. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, it was, hasn't been until the last couple of days uh, that I've been uh, made a conscious effort to give myself a little bit of distance. Um, but the, the issue too, Josh, is you got to, they call it a work-life balance. And I, I understand that right now we're, you know, your your work is in the gym, but when you get back to residence, we're still with the same groups. So I'm just trying to find some connectivity points, maybe not necessarily volleyball related with other people. So I'm finding out a little bit more about Kruger or, you know, JV or that kind of stuff that may or may not be volleyball related, but it's eventually going to affect that anyway. So I know the first little bit for me, I, I, I was throwing myself into the volleyball and, and really up. Uh, in the last couple of days, I have made a conscious effort. So there has probably been a few more calls home, uh, a few more, you know, FaceTimes and, and so on. Um, but, uh, you know, the truth is, it's kind of what I came here for. So you know, I'm a, a victim of my own circumstance. Nice, nice. And Brock, I love your thoughts on this, because obviously, like you, you shared your masters with me. And I, I mean, you and I could probably spend a whole lunch hour talking about right, left finish versus left, right. So it's just kind of funny. Like, are, are you finding that the conversations go pure volleyball? Or how are you handling the week? Just uh, finding time to maybe switch off or talk basketball or hockey or whatever else everybody else is into? Yeah, if I talk basketball and hockey, the conversation would be um, that long because I'm not as, <laughs> as versed as some of the sports fans on our, on our team. I'm more in the music realm um, and we got some music lovers on the on the staff. So when we need that break from volleyball, that's kind of where I'm trying to steer it. And we've even come up with a couple couple of fun games when it, when, it, when it comes to listening to music and such. Um, Dave and I actually just talked about this last night and we were able to go out to a for a meal that kind of separated us from volleyball and I've been a big believer in the, that separation from like, you know, volleyball as a craft, as your job, as your skill, and then me as a person. Um, and I think that um, understanding your identity is a, is a really important piece for an athlete and a coach. I, I went through that kind of in the later stages of my career. And one of my simple like hacks for that is when I need that break, I take volleyball clothes off and put non-volleyball clothes on so that last night was one of those times where i just need, needed that break and took the, the volleyball shirt off and put on like whatever t-shirt and that that those little things for me i'm a, a big believer in, in those little hacks that that really do a good job resetting your your mind your brain and that's actually the term that dave used last night just need a bit of a reset because you know when we're here when like Dave said, we're, we're here and we're really on the clock most of the time. And what I mean by that is our brains are really focusing on what we're doing here most of the time. Um, but I do think that if you don't find a way to reset, uh, then it'll catch up to you at a time you're not expecting it. Um, and I found that as an athlete and, and I find that as a coach too. And I think uh, that's something that our athletes here are probably too young to really experience. But at some point, that'll be part of their lives too. Um, I'm, I, I'm a newish father, uh, I have a three-year-old daughter at home. So making those, those FaceTime calls, 
uh, back home have been really key for me. This is the longest I've ever been away from her. Uh, so that part has been difficult, but knowing that, you know, I got my wonderful wife at home taking care of her and, and my family back home that, that allows me to be here and really, uh, contribute to what we're doing here. Yeah. And Nate, I'd love your thoughts on this as well, because in your episode and just uh, talking to you over the years, you and I have the, the same thing in common where you can get really curious and really go down the rabbit hole on some stuff. So are you finding these times when you're walking to the gym or sitting at the lunch table, like you want to go deep into conversations? Like I, I had a two hour podcast with Kruger and it could have been four hours, right? Like, are you just picking everybody's brain or, or how do you like to approach these moments? So you don't maybe burn yourself out or, or get like one dimensional with what you're thinking. Yeah. I think one of the huge benefits to this staff is there's a lot of common connection points that, aren't really volleyball related. So I think there's been some incredible uh, rabbit hole conversations that we've gone down. And I think sometimes we just pause them and, and pick them up later. But I think there's been some really, just there's some other dads on the call, which I think just how to do this job really, really well as a dad and a husband, I think has been some cool conversations. Uh, I don't know anything about music. So just picking Brock's brain and he's gone from super, passive aggressive to judgmental to inclusive in my music journey so I'm, I'm thankful to brock for that but um i do think that there are a ton of of different avenues that we can go down and, and pick each other's brains i think there has been a ton of that um i think part of having you know running a university program in covid there are times where it's not volleyball related so some of us have had to take a step aside and, and do some of that. Um, I FaceTime and call regularly with my wife and kids at home because there's a four and a six-year-old mini Nate at home terrorizing my wife and family. So just checking in on that and, and hearing about baseball and hearing about stuff that's, you know, really, really important in their lives has, has been crucial. And then I think just being aware of like, we have to hydrate as a, as, as a staff, have to stay hydrated, have to make sure we're sleeping well, that we're eating properly, that we're doing all those things that we're preaching to the athletes apply equally to us. Um, and then just picking and choosing and knowing that there's lots of times to, to go down the rabbit hole about pretty much anything that we want to go down and, and a staff that can facilitate those conversations. Nate, if you're, I think it's a good move on you to basically bring up what you're trying to say is that the true and the only version of wagon wheel is by old crow medicine show. Is that what you're trying? Is that what you're alluding to? That is correct. That's exactly where I've come in. My okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Now we have the, we have real, we have the pass and dimes platform to spread the good word. <laughs> we'll get it out there. Yeah. The dozens and dozens of listeners are writing this down and all nodding their heads. So they're all in agreement here. <laughs> uh hawkins i do want to just quickly yep. can i just say for the record though like nate is kind of his music and we have this little music sharing thing that we do as a group but uh nate's suggestion of kickstart my heart by motley crew is definitely not the worst uh, song to be added to the playlist so far so i think nate deserves a little bit more credit than he's giving himself <laughs> yeah i think you're in a strike with that one that was a good call <laughs> i appreciate that that also might be somewhat of a indicator of the other choices that 16 to 18 year old uh boy athletes will put on that playlist as well but i do appreciate the guys thanks 
Nice. Well, now it's a two-parter question because Hawkins, I, I'm curious because there is like an old school mentality. Like, are you guys playing music in the gym every day? Like, are you activating with it? Like, is it on during the drills or do you shut it off? But uh, the other question I want to get to is, is anybody who has Volleyball Canada on Facebook, and I, I did discuss this with Garrett May and Logan Mend uh, on Sharp Cuts, which will come out just before this episode. But uh, th- there's a big uh, brouhaha about talent ID in Canada where our men's national team lost to Japan and Japan has obviously culturally just a different setup than we do. And they have athletes who are a little bit smaller and they have a dynamite right side who they might list him as six, one, six, two, but he's a mighty might and he can score and he can do awesome stuff where the discussion is, would he make a university in Canada? Would he make the national team? Like, would he be in the pipeline? So I'm curious with, with you being a big part of designing the talent ID here, is size and a thing that is actually looked at is it height above the net so we're looking at jump height like when we look at talent id um it how much is this blown up because i think as garrett explained it the the one thing that does happen is the athlete who does get selected to the better clubs and to the provincial teams and eventually the national team they're getting more exposure they're getting better coaching and they're going to get better so there is a bit of a pipeline or a pathway for them but uh, i am curious while we have some experts on the call how much like height is actually talked about versus like jump height and being above the height of the net but but first i got to hear about this autonomy and music and what kind of mood you're trying to create at practice before we get serious with the talent id one yeah it's a uh allude to the activity that JB was uh, talking about and giving him full credit because it was his idea, which I think has been a really cool way of getting to know the guys a little bit more based on their song selection, uh, but also just a fun little reprieve from volleyball, like while it's still being a team activity. So essentially guys just share a song that has some sort of meaning. So we've had some guys that have gone really, really deep with the meaning of their songs and other guys that are just like, Hey, I really like the song from Katy Perry. Um, so it's been really cool. Uh, so then, you know, JB has taken these song suggestions from the guys and throws it up on a Spotify playlist. So during warm up and during some of our tutorial activities, we just play that playlist. So, so the first couple of days when we didn't have that many songs, uh, JB's song was Freebird. So we heard Freebird a lot. There were, there were a couple songs that were just on repeat over and over but now we've got a pretty good playlist happening with some a pretty wide range of music so it's been cool you know we'll be you know getting into movement prep and all of a sudden someone's song will come on and you're kind of just like switched back into like oh yeah you know player x suggested this song like oh that was a pretty cool moment or like that was a pretty cool insight to that person but we do listen to music a decent amount to start practice uh and then after that we uh we turn it off Nice, nice. And yeah, just to refresh you there on my long-winded question, with Talent ID, is this something we actually value in Canada? Is the height or are we looking at physical metrics or, or what are some things that we're evaluating athletes? Because uh, yeah, the comment section was jumping off about like, we just want the tallest athlete and we want this and that where uh, I didn't think that was a true reflection, but at the end of the day in, in volleyball, I think size does matter. And there's a reason that Steven Meyer is a heck of a left side at six, seven, right? So th- th- there are some guys who are very gifted and they tend to be on the longer side. Yeah, and I think it's it's over to or it's easy to overreact to you know some of the results and say like okay you know what are we doing with our talent identification you know what is the true identity of Canadian volleyball? But you're right, like height is an advantage in the same way that speed is an advantage. That you know your ability to hit the ball with high velocity is an advantage. It's going to be based on your circumstances, so your talent pool and kind of your style of play. So with Team Canada's style of play you know, height and physicality is going to be a priority. So for us, that's that's something that we need to keep in mind when we're selecting a youth national team. You know, when 
Coach Marsden and his staff were selecting the junior national team. But those are things that we need to consider. Um, so within our own nation's circumstances, but also just the circumstances of the sport. You know, the game is just so fast and so physical and played so high above the net that you need to select individuals that you feel are going to be successful offensively within kind of like that style of play, but also defensively. So if we're playing against Poland and Leon is, you know, touching the stratosphere, it's like we need someone who has the physicality to be able to defend that. And on the flip side, kind of like a little bit more of of an aggressive mentality, it's like, how are we going to score against, you know, athletes of, of that size, that physicality? So I think, you know, it's easy to overreact to maybe a country that beats Canada that plays a different style, but that's, you know, that's their own unique circumstances and what, you know, certain nations are doing within their parameters is awesome. And it just makes us better and makes our national team better. For sure. And Dave, I'd love your thoughts on this because it seems like your program is pretty flexible where you'll have McCarthy and Marr on the outside who are just like big athletes, like six, seven plus, but you'll also be successful with Jory Mantha. And I think we might list him as maybe six, three, which I know uh, to our listeners isn't a small guy, but maybe in the volleyball community is like a medium, right? So you as a coach who's found a way to take advantage of certain guys' abilities and flex your system a little bit, like when you're thinking talent ID, honestly, do you look for size or is there certain other characteristics? that might stand out or or if somebody doesn't have size they have to have this to therefore be a difference maker yeah josh i i, I think uh, i understand why all the questions would be raised right now because our sports on the on the on the platform and, and this i think the the olympic platform is what creates these discussions i think the more often we have them the better we our sport gets so um i think these are healthy discussions but i think there's a couple things to take into consideration one japan is the host and there's uh, an extra advantage to that where those athletes are a little bit more comfortable with the environment. And so all those things in that environment, and given those circumstances, can, can create an edge. But quite honestly, I don't think that Japan has reinvented themselves for this Olympics. Um, they've, As far as I've been involved in the programs for 20 plus years, Japan has always kind of played that same style that Hawk alluded to. And, and uh, I just think right now they've got a couple of athletes who are really, really heavy in a, in a couple certain attributes like Ishikawa is just a leader and, and those guys, maybe they lack that in other, in other, uh, you know, in, in other quads. I don't know. I'm not on the inside of that. Uh, I don't know their secret sauce, but I know Ishikawa carries those attributes really well and the, and the rest of the team um, responds to that. So I think, um, I think, you know, athlete talent selection is, is always a, um, a, 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 a tricky subject to, to justify, um, but I don't think that we should discount the attributes that athletes bring. Six, seven outside hitters who are really aggressive and really assertive and 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 very situationally aware can be really, really good. But so can a six-three outside hitter. So I don't necessarily know that it's just their physicality or it's just their technical. I think there's some other attributes that um that that are very special that make olympians olympians and uh the more um i guess uh you know developed those attributes are i think that's where you're going to get uh the difference between there is definitely size that is is uh can be advantage but those attributes can be equal the advantage so um i i just i think that there's a lot of factors beyond you know just the, the actual the, the physical height. I think the height that you play at, you alluded to that, the height that they're playing at, the speed that they're playing at, 
and uh, but more importantly, their, their tenacity, uh, their resilience, all the other attributes that transcend the skills. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and Nathan, how do you like to think about this? Because we've talked about that, you know, if Matt Anderson's the model, I think we would all take that. But let's face it, he's a little bit of a unicorn where we're not going to find outside hitters who can move like him and play like him. So, you know, if we find a 6'4 guy who's got an arm, who can do certain things, like we'll we'll build a system around that. So how do you kind of look forward and evaluate talent ID where I think if there's an opportunity of if Sean Vernon Evans is in a tryout versus me, like you're taking that guy 100% of the time, right? But if you don't have that unicorn available, how do you kind of problem solve or look for other things in your talent ID? Yeah, that's uh, definitely a no-brainer that we're taking show over you. So <laughs> I, I apologize. I know it's your show. Um, I, I, I think one of the things that we can look at Japan and go, oh, yeah, cool. Uh, there's a team in the other pool that is crushing everybody in the ROC, right? The Russian Olympic Committee that is doing it in a very, very different way. And like if... Other than Politov, if you're not sick, like there are guys who are six, seven, six, eight, who do not look very big standing on that Russian court. And so I think um, for me, it's always been there are some generalized rules that we can look at. And I think the president of the Golden State Warriors said it once we don't want a small team, but we want to put our best five players, or in our case, our best six or seven players on the court. Like if there's someone who can do what Curry can do, but he's six, eight there's not really a comparison there. So I think there is, whether we like it or not, for some positions, there's a little bit of a, I always call it that you must be this tall to ride the roller coaster. And I don't mean it just on height, but you must have this good of an, there's international arm as a phrase for a reason. There's, there's guys who are tall enough. And then anybody who, who lacks like middle blocker is easy one to look at. There are some phenomenally talented middle blockers who are not six, eight, six, nine. They have to be incredibly fast. They have to read the game really well. They have to have incredible shoulders. There's all of these other things. And I think that with the group that we have now, and the, the group that we're identifying, we're looking at all of that stuff, right? So are you huge, but don't have an arm versus someone who's a little bit smaller, who does have an incredible arm or somebody who can pass or, you know, how do we do our jobs as coaches? Once we've identified them, I think is equally or greater important than the initial talent identification if we can get the guys with the natural resources in and have coaching groups that look like this and that look like our our u21 team and that look like our next gen team then we can start to create what a canadian volleyball player looks like and how our identity does that and how do we get you know guys who are super tough who understand the travel schedule who understand the grind who get great contract all of those things i think play a factor. And I think that the, the role of coaching within and not just going, Oh, we identified wrong back to the drawing board. So I do think that there is an the development piece of that talent. Once it's identified is really, really important. I also do think that there are rules and I use that term loosely. There are rules for a reason. And if you find yourself with an entire team of exceptions, I don't know how good you can be unless they're all legit exceptions, but the odds are that they're not. You've just gone against the rule a few times. So I, I think that's how, how I wrap my brain around it. And and the longer I coach and the longer I'm around great coaches, I go, yeah, our, our development's in one in really good hands and will continue to be. And I think that the more and more we can get athletes exposed to great coaching and to great technical and tactical and mental coaching, the better off we're going to continue to be with a group that has had some pretty good success in on the world stage in a number of tournaments. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Brock, what are your thoughts? Because to Dave's point, like, I think it is encouraging that these conversations come up and it's exciting around the Olympics. But uh, maybe should the conversation be steering that sports are a little bit copycat? And, and yes, we lost to Japan and that's not within our model. And maybe we need to reflect on that. But in my mind, if we're going to win an Olympic medal, I don't know if Glenn and the other coaches are talking about Japan. Like, wouldn't the model be to compete with Poland and Russia and the United States and, and like those countries who have proven that they're their medal threats in Brazil? Obviously, I'm like, I'm leaving people out here. But in your mind, when we talk talent ID, like is the model, what are we chasing? Who are we trying to block? Like, I, I think Hawkins brought up like Leon like if there's athletes like that is that not the model if you're trying to be a podium team that the conversation steers to and and you know Japan plays a fantastic style but I don't think they're coming up in an own the podium meeting about who we're chasing right yeah I think that's a good question like because there are the perennial powerhouses I mean look at the world ranking like the top top teams are it's no surprise they're there and then when you look at who's building most of the champions league champion teams who's finishing top of the dnl it's not like a lot of surprises um i think like part of the role that you know glenn hogue or whoever is head coach of the national team at the time has to have a grasp of who who uh, will be the teams that we're trying to beat when accomplishing the long-term goals so in, to bring back to your example of winning an Olympic medal. But I, I think there's, you know, an intersection of that uh, with many roads. So like our resources um, of manpower are different than countries like Russia, Brazil, United States, Japan. We have different, we have different populations to start with. The other thing that I think is really important is to understand like the, the culture of the of the nations all of the ones i just listed have vastly different cultures from my understanding and i think that definitely factors into the development of um the athletes as people uh, how the coaches can coach those athletes under those cultural parameters and from there like someone like glenn hogue who is infinitely like broad-minded like he's very he's able to see a lot and see very far down the road what he's trying to accomplish uh, I think there's so many things that are involved. It's almost hard to summarize what you should be, what, how, how us as outsiders should be evaluating that or, or making recommendations. The one thing I would, I, I do feel adamantly on is that I, I don't think it's our role as the Canadian national team to look past anyone that's qualified for the Olympics. And I, and I hope we see that today. And when, when the Canadians play Venezuela, someone that's not, you know, highly ranked, but knowing the guys that are on that team and knowing how competitive Glenn is and just my beliefs in volleyball. I think if anyone's on the other side of the court, you should be trying to beat them as hard as you can. Like there, there's no, there's no difference once you step on the court. Now that doesn't mean that. Yeah. Like when Glenn's building his teams or whoever the head coach is building their teams, having the division down the road to beat a Poland and Italy, a Brazil, I think that makes sense. Um, I'll, I'll go back to what was said that I think, you know, having a knee jerk reaction to Canada losing to Japan is not very um, productive in terms of evaluation of where our national teams at, because that happens in the high level volleyball. And we're not talking about a team that's far behind us. Like if you do pull up the rankings, Japan's right there with us. Um, and I don't think we can forget that this is one of the most historic volleyball nations in the country um, when it comes to Japan. So it's not like, our, our guys were knocked off by um, 
someone that's way further down in the rankings. That's a really good team. Um, but yeah, it's very nuanced when you're looking, looking that, that far down the road and, and from a planning perspective, and those are fun conversations to have, like talk about nerd and volleyball. Like these are the kind of things we're talking about when we're sitting around the table. And it's really, some really good talking points you're bringing up, Josh. Yeah, well said. And thank you guys for all that you've shared so far. This is just a great conversation. And I know we got uh, seven of our six of us on the call here, but uh, I think it's flown really well. And I'm definitely learning a lot. So thanks for joining us. I know you guys are busy. And uh, JB, uh, I want to hear from your expertise as, as the club guy on the call. Like, do you think there is something to the argument of maybe the, the six footer or the six one kid who's good in club and in 16U, but as soon as maybe selections come in, so uh, a summer games team or a provincial team that maybe they're identified as too small and now, like I might as well move my starting block 10 meters behind the next guy, right? Because I'm not going to get that summer games experience. I'm not going to get the provincial team exposure. And then maybe when I'm emailing university coaches, they're going to scoff and say, oh, you're, you're a 6'2 left side. Like we don't have room for you in, in our system. Like, do, do you think that is a fair argument in the community that maybe there are some athletes who are, are being missed or, or is our talent pathway, you know, good enough and the athletes will find a spot and the cream will always rise to the top if you can play? I think it's a really interesting question because I think a lot of it has to do with, with your club structure and, and how you run things. And you know, I think uh, without a doubt, there's the situation at the younger ages where you want to pick athletes who can help the overall group, you know, so there might not be a place for the, the athlete who you think will be good one day. Um, but you also don't want to let that athlete go because you might not get them back. Right. So it's, it's walking that fine line of if this is the best player in our age group right now, but we don't see much growth for them in the future, you know, where do they really fit in? And that's where, you know, I think in a, in a somewhat of a microcosm where, you know, with us say in our club specifically, if we're able to have more than one team at an age, we can, we can stash some of those guys, right. And you can mix them through a little bit. And there isn't a lot of pressure on that. The guy who's the prospect to perform, because he's maybe on your second team or he's not going to be a starter on your first team. Right. And it also gives the opportunity for that guy who, who can play the role and, you know, have a great club career, even if he's not interested in playing university later on. Right. And I think it'd be foolish of us as club coaches to consume ourselves with what do university and what do national team coaches want. Right. Because the reality is not all those kids are going to get there right? They're not all going to get to that next stage. So why are we cutting them and moving on from them when half of the guys who are bigger athletes, they're not going to get to that stage either, right? We're, we're in the situation where our job is to try to get as many athletes playing as possible. And, you know, that's part of like we have here, right? With having 30 athletes, we have the opportunity. We have all different body types and sizes and, and guys who are at different ages and come from to the country and you know, some of the guys are, you know, you're looking at it of, you know, they're, they're really great players right now. And some guys we want to you know look at them and, and think a little bit more long-term with them. And you're kind of using all of those different factors um, when you're selecting those teams. And I think it would just be silly of us to cut a guy at 15 or 16 years old, because we don't think he's gonna make the national team one day. Right. The reality is there might not be one kid in our club, club team makes the national team. So why are we, why are we worried about that as club coaches, right? That's not our decision. And, um, you know, I think all you can really do is, is coach them up and, and you're trying to run the best club program that you can. And, and then the university coaches can, can go and make their decisions from there. 
Um, but you know, it, it, what could happen is you could have a guy who, like you said, you mentioned a six, two left side, that six, two left side might, uh, show something as a competitor and as an athlete, uh, when he's attacking the ball that somebody might like him as, as their future libero, right? Like, I think it's hard. That's just one example, but you know, that's a situation where a university coach might be sitting in those stands at nationals saying, you know, that guy loved the way he beats his team. And yeah, he might not have some of the. Uh, attributes we're looking for at the next level, but I can work with that guy and I can make him, I can find a spot for him on my team. Right. And he can be an arm in practice. Not everybody has to be a starter, right? He's a guy that I can bring in and he can be my fourth left side. He's going to go back and he's going to serve balls at our practice and make our receivers better. You know, uh, he's going to make our defenders better because he attacks really well, even if he's a smaller block. Like we don't always have to look at those guys as who's going to be the guys on the floor for us at the end. So I think that happens sometimes where, you know, club coaches will, will put so much emphasis on the future that they lose sight of what they're doing right then and there is you only have five months with these guys. So, you know, you just want to make sure you're putting your best foot forward with the group that you have. Um, and that's what I, that was very, very evident in our, in our process in selecting this team was there were many different paths that were being discussed. And obviously we want all these guys to get to the highest level that they can. Um, but not every single guy is at the same spot right now within this group of, of 30 athletes that we have. Yeah, definitely. Well said. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your perspective because I, I think it is a great one as somebody who's in the trenches with the club teams and talking athlete selection, every, every tryout window. So that, that's great to hear your thoughts. And, and I know you guys are busy and we'll get you out of here with this one, but, uh, Hawkins, I, I, I gotta know you, you made room in the schedule. You're getting these guys to watch the Olympic matches are you letting them be fans and you kind of just kind of eavesdropping what they're talking about? Or as a coach, is it really tempting to be like, Hey guys, you see that footwork Van Burkle just used? Like, that's what we want to see tomorrow. Or you see, uh, I don't know, Gord wipe the hands here. Like we want to see that more from you guys. Like, is it an entertaining thing? Or are you guys using it as an opportunity to teach and kind of showcase some of the techniques you guys are trying to instill in the athletes? Yeah, I'd say a little bit of both. And I would say the latter, like the teaching points are kind of happening naturally because us coaches were watching as fans, you know, like as Dave had alluded to, like the Olympic games is the pinnacle of our sport. And so, you know, our coaching staff, you know, if we're watching in the common room at res, our coaching staff, we're sitting front row because we're as excited as these guys are to watch these games. And, you know, in our conversations about what we're seeing, whether it's tactics and decisions, whatever it may be, we're trying to include the athletes as much as we can really interesting enough like there's some guys who are just volleyball junkies like there's one particular athlete uh who <laughs> you know he nate and i were quizzing him right before we got on this call to list you know the eight playoff champions league teams from this past uh <laughs> pro season like there are some guys who just like absolutely nerd out on volleyball so those guys are just naturally jumping in on the conversation uh but i think we're all trying to incorporate you know, the, the things that we're learning on court with the guys in the gym and then getting to see it on the Olympic stage, like the pinnacle of our sport with our national team guys, we're in the same uniform that we are. I think it's a really cool opportunity for us to make that connection. But yeah, I'd be lying if I said that we weren't as big of fans as they were watching those games. Yeah, you're not kidding. I think there was a picture floating around Instagram. I don't know if VC shared it or if it was one of you guys, but uh, Dave, I think you were sitting front row. Like, are, are you trying to get into the game and just kind of let your mind wander? Or are you making time for conversations and trying to connect with those athletes and kind of point stuff out or answer any questions they have? Because it looked like you were definitely front row center in the picture I saw. 
Uh, yeah, not a lot of conversation going on with me during the game. Um, I'm, I'm pretty dialed in there. Uh, so, but after the fact, uh, it, it, the, these guys, are just, they're just so motivated. They're just so dialed in. So uh, those, as Hawk alluded to, those conversations are happening naturally, but I'm a fairly passionate human being. So when they're, when the game's on, I'm pretty dialed in. We're, we were contemplating for a while of whether we need a nerd room or not, um, where just we can go and kind of isolate ourselves so it can be watched in complete silence. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, it's a really cool environment. Uh, it just really is. Um, as Hawk mentioned, you know, there's a lot of people that care a lot about the sport in our country and, uh, to have a room full of that watching it, 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 it's pretty neat. Yeah. JB, you want to jump in here? Yeah, I just I want to give Dave uh, a shout out here because I think the players were inspired by how how much Dave put into that first match and how much it was apparent how the result meant something to him and he was really you know they say you you can lead from the front or you can lead from the back like he was literally the closest person in the room to the TV and I think the athletes. I don't know if they fully grasp how big of a deal the Olympics are, you know, and I, that's not an insult to them. I think just the last time the Olympics were around, you know, they were still pretty young. Right. And they don't know the history of not qualifying for so long from 92 to 2016. And, you know, it's almost like they just think that maybe Canada's there every year and, you know, watching Dave, I mean, even myself as a coach, just watching him, um, show that passion and, and react to every single play and every single point. Um, it most, you know, it put even more things in perspective for me. So I think as the athletes afterwards, they were saying like, we were getting fired up just watching Dave, not even watching the game, but watching Dave watch the game. And I will say like, he, he certainly handled the mistakes a lot better than I do for Dallas Cowboys game. So he did it in a positive <laughs> way too, but um, you know, he, we talked after like, he, there's nothing else in sports that makes him feel that way. And I think it was, the guys took something from that. And I think that's something we talk about all the things that will stick with them from this camp. I bet you that's one moment that will resonate with them, um, moving forward for the rest of their lives. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. And we'll go Brock first here, but uh, Nate, I'd love your thoughts on this too, because uh, sometimes I struggle on this show and I certainly struggle on sharp cuts with Garrett where he can be very critical and kind of go at guys where I, I tend to find it hard to be critical on certain athletes because I want to empathize with what they're going through. So, so Brock and Nate, with you guys both representing Canada as athletes, when, when you're watching these games and you're talking with young athletes, because you have a personal relationship with some of these guys, or you may empathize with what they're going through, like, are you able to say, oh, that was, that was a poor decision, like they shouldn't have done that? Or do you find that because you've been a little bit closer, it's hard to be critical sometimes because you realize the, the level and the speed these guys are playing at? Yeah, I think like I, I, I don't like when you get that like the armchair expert watching a, watching any kind of sports game. But I think from our experience, we see things like, man, why did that happen? Why did this happen? But I think for me, um, you know, whether it's as an alumnus or, you know, as a member of this team, the, the first and foremost thing is that I want to support that team. The, that's why if, we, if we're playing, doesn't matter who we're playing at the Olympics, I'm betting on Canada. Cause one, like the, the, the one thing I always want to be when I'm watching our guys play is like on their side. So 
and I think when I see any errors happen or maybe the, them go through struggles like that, that's what I try to be my first reaction because just like you were, you know, mentioning with the, with the Japan loss and the reaction, um, I don't, I don't like when people just knee jerk and start criticizing their team. And I actually went through that, um, my pro career where been on pro teams, we had a bad stint and we had fan groups that supported us and fan groups that turned on us. And I don't want to be the latter. Um, now, you know, us being coaches and part of our job description is being able to pull those things out. I think we naturally do that. Will we voice them at times? Maybe. I don't, I think less in front of the athletes, you know, if we're talking about it after and just, you know, kind of going through our, our coaches circle and, and discussing, I think that's a different scenario. Um, but in a, in our fan mode, uh, like for me, I don't really like, doing that because i don't think it's supportive of our of our team which is that senior team yeah well said thank you and nate i, I was wondering what your experience is as a guy who's kind of been in the world of both like do you do you find the the green light to be critical because you know what it's like or do you have more empathy because again you know what it's like yeah i don't ever give myself the green light to be hyper critical of anyone i think high performance sport is really really hard um we've had a couple mental performance meetings. And I think one of the things that's resonated with me from it is being really intentional with our language. And that's the, the, the route that I've taken when we watch these matches, it's not, Oh man, can you believe that Gord did X? So, oh man, Slater, why would you ever do why? I, I think I've more looked at it. Like, what do you think they saw? Right. Or what did the other team do? That was really, really good to counter that or, and then finding myself really, really reinforcing the good stuff that our, our athletes are doing, like they played a match against Iran the other day. That was just incredible. And that Iranian team could possibly win the Olympics. Like that's how much talent's there. And I think that really, really reinforcing one, what we're talking to them about here. And two, that like the game that they're embarking on for their life is really, really hard. Um, and, and I think so uh, whether you call it empathy or whatever you call it, I, I think it's, you know, how do we continue to prepare, especially this group of athletes to be in that arena one day and to hopefully there's more fans in the stands when, when the guys from this group get there. But I think that how do we prepare them to see the game differently? How do we prepare them for, Hey, this doesn't happen as much in club. This doesn't happen as much here, but it's going to happen in your career. And these tactical awareness, the situational awareness all of those other things that we can draw from and, and how did they handle it? And I think one of the best things that we were doing as a staff, a few of us were sitting with athletes during the match and just looking, let watch how Gord bounces back from this mistake or watch what TJ does after a bad set. And I think there's some incredible role models on that team of, Hey, we're just going to keep going here. Right. And we're just going to keep battling and then we can make more positive plays. So I don't know that like criticism for the sake of critic doesn't get us anywhere, but I think within with the athletes asking a lot of questions, asking a lot of their perspective. And then from a coaching staff, just looking and going, you know, where, where are their alignments? What it, what are the systems that, Hey, I might not have done that, but why do you think they did? Right. And I think those get really, really in depth when it's countries that aren't Canada. And I think there's a lot of stuff we were watching USA, Russia the other day together and, and had a lot of those conversations. So I think there's, there's a mix, but yeah, the, the criticism of our national team and our national team athletes out of a COVID year in an Olympic games against the 
most of the best teams in the country, or sorry, in the in the world, not in the country, but in the world, I, I think doesn't really have a place. And, you know, how can we just make the group that we have better while watching them? Guys, this is this has been awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. I mean, we, we've had you each individually on the show and making it work as a group because uh, I know that uh, free time is at a premium for you guys. So I want to thank you so much for building into the schedule and sharing all that you did. Uh, just to open it up here, I, I don't know, uh, Coach Hawkins or anyone else has any closing statements, but I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this and enjoyed the conversation. But uh, I know you got work to do, you got planning to do, you got sessions. So I'll, I'll, I think I've taken enough of your time, but awesome, guys. Like, thanks so much. Yeah, I don't mind jumping here. I uh, just want to thank you, Josh, because this is by far the longest that we've gone being this nice to each other as a coaching <laughs> staff. So I appreciate you giving us the platform for that. Uh, but no, honestly, just appreciate you giving us the time to share you know, our experiences with the group. And, and luckily, we're 36 minutes away from the Venezuela game. So we cut this short enough that we can rip back down to the common room and res and watch with the guys. Yeah, we might uh, might have to... This is good timing because... Uh, the laundry, uh, the laundry situation is rearing its ugly head again, Josh. The boys, uh, they've learned a lot over these 11 days, but uh, mastering uh, using the washing machine is not not one of them. And it uh, looks like I might be drawn down to the basement here right away. So this is a good time to end. Awesome. Well, Coach Hawkins, Groenveld, Preston, Davidock, Brown, like this is a who's who list here right now. So awesome. Thanks again, guys. And uh, I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners are going to get a big kick out of this one too.